So welcome again, everybody. And uh, with that clip from Beauty and the Beast, just kind of a little way of exemplifying that sometimes you think you know somebody and you discover this whole new side to their personality you didn't know. Sometimes it's not until you say something about a hobby of yours, I don't know, a sport that you do or golf or, 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 or something, and then they say, hey, you do that, I do that too. And this person that maybe you couldn't stand before or, or you didn't have the warmest feelings towards, suddenly you have some point in common with them, you discover this whole new, this whole new side of them. Um, how many people, have here in, people here enjoy sightseeing when they travel? Yeah, so I wasn't a sightseer until um, we went on our, on our honeymoon. Uh, we decided to go to uh, um, uh, Jerusalem and Israel and that area. Uh, beautiful beaches in Tel Aviv and, and in Jerusalem, of course, there's a lot of things to see and in the region. Um, and honestly, it was great. Now, uh, uh, I'll be very honest with you. Um, I didn't do a lot of research. I didn't read a lot before I went. I was wedding planning, and I was more interested in who I was going with than where I was going. Um, and uh, it was a great trip. We had a, we really had a great time. And when I got back, all my friends were telling me, hey, uh, I've also been to Jerusalem. Did you see this? Did you go there? This was so amazing. And I felt like I kind of missed out. You know, because there were all these things and all these places that um, that I had never been to and that I had never seen. Um, and it's actually my wife who's turned me into a sightseer. Before that, I was much, much more of a, of, of a, of a beach kind of person. But another analogy that we can kind of use is how many people here, when you get like some kind of new device or something, the first thing you do is read the user's manual. Show of hands. Wow, a lot less than the sightseers, right? If you're anything like me, you pull it out of the box, you look for the power button. That's what I'm looking for, right? How do you turn this sucker on and let's see what it can do, right? And then you play around with it and you like it and it's great and so on. And after a while, the novelty wears off and so on. And one day when I'm bored and I have nothing to do, what do I stumble across? The user's manual. And I stumble across the user's manual and I discover, oh my goodness, there were all these other features that I didn't know about, right? But I actually never stopped to look into what is the full potential of this device. So that's kind of what we're here to do tonight, is to just stop, to think, to ask, what, what is the fullness of our humanity? And oftentimes, when I mess up like a little bit or I make a little mistake or this or that, maybe not like some big thing, but something that something that is easily excusable, I'll say, you know, so, so, so somebody will say, oh, like this and this, and say, well, yeah, I guess so, but I'm only human. And it's almost like being human has become like this lowest common denominator. It's sort of like I'm only human, you know, like I'm not like, like, uh, like super, like, like, like I don't have a, like I don't have like a superhero memory, or I don't have like I don't see through walls. I can't, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right? And it's almost an, an excuse for for fault and for mistake. But I guess we have to ask ourselves: Is that what we were like? Is that what we're cut out for? Is that what we're is that what we're made for? Right? Is is to be just this kind of you know fallen or broken kind of um, um, kind of kind of reality and to, to kind of answer that question we need to be able to compare to some kind of normal 
And in today's society, at least here in, in, in Toronto, it's become almost like, it's almost taboo, it's almost politically incorrect to ask what is normal. And, you know, and, and, and everybody has the right to their own normal. Um, and that's, I mean, that's fine. If you believe that, that's great. You know what I mean? And, and um, but um, it also begs the question, is there some kind of overarching normal or is there an original normal like maybe the new normal that we're at now is different from but was there some kind of normal that uh, that preceded all of this um, and some people would say no there isn't you know what I mean uh, Robert Anton Wilson is a 20th century uh, poet and playwright American uh, 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 writer and playwright and he would say that there is no normal um, our normal is just something that none of us are able to ever attain. And here we are looking at like this, this pile of puzzle pieces. We're looking at like this pile of puzzle pieces and trying to put them back together again in some kind of, in some kind of orderly fashion without being able to see what the original is. And if you have an unlimited number of puzzle pieces, like, if you, like I've, seen, I've seen these puzzles before, they give you like a thousand puzzle pieces and they won't let you know what the picture is, and you have to kind of figure it out. And I have friends who love doing puzzles and, and, they, and, they, and they can figure it out. But if you have like an unlimited number of puzzle pieces, how could you ever figure out what goes where? And a lot of the time, we go through life, I go through life, I'm busy, I've got stuff going on, I don't have time to stop and to think and to ask myself these kind of deep, sort of, so to speak, philosophical questions, right? And so we just, we just go from one thing to the next, and I just kind of go from one thing to the next. But Socrates, one of the fathers of philosophy, says, an unexamined life is not worth living. If we're not going to stop and ask ourselves, what are we doing? Where are we going? You know, I'm just going to drive as fast as I can for as far as I can go. But not stop and ask myself, but where... Where are we going? And what are we doing? And the trouble with asking that question is, is that now there's become a whole lot of different isms and ologies out there, right? And all kinds of different, you know, isms that we can follow, whether they be religions or philosophies that have turned into these ologies, right? You know, um, so new historicism, nihilism, euphemisms, existentialism, expressionism, you know, and so on, right? Marxism, Leninism, and so on, right? Arianism, capitalism, structuralism, Scientology, and so on, right? But if you look around us, and if you take a step back and look at society and where kind of things are going, you would almost say that materialism seems to be in the lead. And this isn't the materialism like I want, I want the newest iPhone or a new pair of shoes. Um, this is the materialism that is is actually like on a it's a philosophical materialism. It is. I believe in matter. What I can see, what I can touch, what I can sink my teeth into and put my hands on, that is real, and everything else is not. Now the trouble with that is it leads, it, you know, I mean, uh, on, the, on a surface level, that's very easy to accept. But on a, on a deeper level, uh, it really cancels out the, the potential of God. And if it does, if that is indeed true, then, um, all sense of, uh, of morality and principle and value are canceled out 
as well. And then, so there is no actual right and wrong because there's no one to say what is right and what is wrong. There are societally accepted norms, and maybe you know um, people who would adhere to this, such as um, such as atheists, would you know aren't gonna you know start living you know immoral, reckless, uncivilized lives because they would they would say, and I've had these conversations with many people that for society to exist, there have to be some rules, but those rules are not actually founded. On anything, they're arbitrary. It's arbitrary that you know we will not one will not kill another. And I would tell you, maybe the title of this book is accurate. If I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. A lot of people, when they go down this road, only go down for, go down for so long because it leads to a very dark and absurd. It can lead to a very dark and absurd place. So then, you know, if you I googled like feel good meme, right, and I got this. Right, and this is what a lot of the rest of us do. Right, is we just kind of go through life, and we don't really know where we're going, but we're just going to go there anyways because it feels good. Um, the trouble with this is that it's very, it's very uh, passing, it's very temporary, um, and it, it it doesn't give you know feeling good about things doesn't give a sense of purpose or sense of direction or give us. A, a sense that we're building on anything. It's really rooted in the present with no real view of the future and a disregard for the past. Um, and that is also kind of somewhat distasteful. And no one, um, you know, no one enjoys having good times forever. Eventually, you, you feel like you wish you were contributing maybe towards something something more. And, and then people try to figure out, well, how can I be spiritual? So today I Googled, how can I be spiritual, and stuck it on this slide, right? And I got 345 million hits. Amongst them, WikiHow is telling us three ways to become more spiritual. And here I found 17 easy things you can do in less than 15 minutes every morning. Now, I don't mean to be facetious. This is totally what came up, number one, two, and three hits on Google when you Google, how can I be spiritual? And you can't help but wonder, people have devoted their lives throughout the ages of many different cultures and, 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 and nationalities and different faith backgrounds and worldviews. There's got to be more than three ways or 17 easy things you can do in under 15 minutes every morning. There's got to be more. And if you were speaking to somebody else, they would probably be able to share with you what they know, but I can only share with you what I know, the, the Christian worldview. In the Christian worldview, there is one true God, and only one. And he is the creator of the universe. He creates the universe out of goodness, not out of need or out of uh, some unfulfilled desire, but out of his outpouring goodness, he creates the universe, and he creates all of the known world, and whether you believe the mechanism of his creation to be evolutionary or to simply be a, an act of will and a word which he speaks is sort of beyond the scope of today. You'll find some stuff written about it uh, on the book table there if that interests you. But he creates the world, and he crowns his creation with humanity, and everything that he creates, he says, this is good. This is good. This is good. And when he comes to creating humanity, he looks and he says, this is very good. And he creates Adam and Eve, humanity as a whole, 
with the purposes that they would continue to evolve until they become exactly as God himself, by grace, by his goodness and his love, not by some deed that they, that they do and that they earn. And so they live in this relationship with God. And so humanity lives in this relationship with God. And humanity is created so perfectly that they, they can love. And part of that love, with that comes choice. And with that comes the choice to trust or not to trust. And with that choice comes the potential and eventually the actuality of some seeds of doubt being planted. Well, maybe God didn't create you like him because he doesn't want you to be like him. Maybe if you, and the trust is broken. The trust is broken between humanity and God. And from that moment, things seem a bit out of order. And if God himself is the source of life that gives life to humanity, then all of a sudden that connection is broken. And while that connection is broken, well, what happens if, if what gives you life is interrupted, that source of life is interrupted? <coughs> well, naturally, one begins to die. Humanity begins to die. But it's not like an immediate, like, an immediate death, like, like what, what, What's, what, what the scripture says specifically is, by death you shall die. So death becomes a process. And that's how sickness is understood in this worldview. That sickness is the disconnection from the source of life and the eventual outcome of which is death. You know what it's kind of like? You have some devices that you plug in to charge in the wall or something, or an AC adapter for some device, your laptop or whatever, and sometimes they have a little LED indicator light. When you pull it out of the plug, the light doesn't always go off immediately. It just kind of fades out slowly, right? And so humanity begins to fade out of life and eventually enter into death. And something is out of order. You ever been waiting for the bus? One of our volunteers was, was you know, taking the TTC here and you know the subway was down and so the shuttle buses and then and then you're standing there and you're late for a meeting and the bus is coming and you're like thank God and as the bus comes you start you're like wait a minute that doesn't say 501 Queen Street that's that you know and you're like oh no and it says not in service right and if you've been sick you know I don't wish it upon anybody or or if you've or, or if you've lost a loved one Something just seems so drastically wrong about that. In my past life, I was a doctor for children, um, a surgeon for children, and I actually dealt with a lot of death. So I'm not someone who hasn't seen people die. I've seen hundreds of people die. And there's just something so drastically wrong about it. People aren't meant to die. They're meant to live. It's so clear, it's so obvious when you face death in the face. When you lose a loved one, the pain of parting makes it so obvious this person was not supposed to die. No matter if they're young or they're old, it's obvious and every single time, that's how almost every single person always feels. 
Something is just not right with this life. Something is broken. And the moment God catches Adam red-handed with the apple, right? A couple of scenes before God creates Eve for, for, for Adam, and Adam sees her for the first time, and he gets down on one knee, and he says to her, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and he's so romantic. And then when God catches him red-handed with the apple in hand, what does he do? God says to Adam, Adam, what did you do? And Adam says, the woman whom you gave me. I don't know her, you know. I don't know who you're talking about. Well, me, right? I was snoozing away, having an afternoon nap, and suddenly this apple found its way into my hand and into my mouth. I had nothing to do with it, right? He's basically saying, if somebody's going to get in trouble, it ain't me, right? And the getting in trouble he's talking about is kind of like hell. So he's basically, one moment he's saying, bone of my bone flesh, and then the next moment he's saying, if somebody's going to hell, it ain't me. <laughs> what happened? So you find that not only does this, does this, does this dis mistrust, this distrust, this rupture of the relationship with God cause, pardon me, cause sickness leading to death, it also ruptures relationships, and humanity starts to turn on itself. The, the, the term homo sapiens was coined in 1758, and the word homo comes from hominis, which means human in Latin, and sapiens is discerning, wise, sensible. And the wisdom, the discernment, the, the sensibility of humanity starts to wither away as that trust is broken. And humanity starts to do weird weird things. And what we're talking about here is, is not necessarily, we're not talking about necessarily like complete moral depravity or, or complete, you know, you, you know, you know, acts of terror and horror and war crimes. That stuff is included. But what we're talking about here is just being off the mark. Just being off the mark is enough to set this cascade into motion. Let me give you an example. If you get 97 on a math test, most people would be happy with that, other than my parents, right? Um, and you, if you get that, you'd be pretty satisfied. 97 is pretty good, right? It's like a, it's an A plus and then some. Well, that's great. How about if you went to your doctor and he told you, you know what? You're 97% healthy. I mean, most of us would turn and say, what's wrong with me, right? And if you didn't have a chance to ask, the only question we'd be thinking on our way, we're walking on our way home, waiting for our next doctor's appointment is, what's wrong with me? When it comes to our health, when it comes to our well-being, what we aim for is perfect. What we aim for is to be healthy, and less than that is concerning, right? And we see that from the very next generation after Adam and Eve. Their children, Cain and Abel. Cain is jealous, kills Abel. Humanity is killing itself. Humanity is killing itself. 
And so Adam is turning on Eve, Cain is turning on Abel. The whole thing is a mess. And it doesn't take a lot of imaginativeness to see that this is exactly what's also happening in society today. Just watch the news for, for five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes, and you'll see humanity self-destructing. And something, something is wrong with the fact that half the world is starving, and the other half doesn't care. There's something wrong with, there's something wrong in our world. And so here we are with our pile of puzzle pieces. And it's all nearly impossible with an infinite number of puzzle pieces to get them all together and put them all together. So God says, you were, when, when, when we created you, when, when, when you were created, you were created in the image and likeness of God. And so God says, let me show you what that image is supposed to look like. If you were a carbon copy, let me show you what the original is. And Jesus comes and is born in a manger and lives a normal human life and dies and rises from the dead and eventually ascends to heaven to make that reality real to us and make it clear to us what that really is. In Philip Schaefer's equus, Peter Schaefer's uh, uh, equus, um, this uh, young man starts worshiping this horse. And the point that this really masterful playwright um, is, is making is that inside each one of us, there is a desire to worship something. And there's this beautiful line in the playwright says that if you don't worship, you shrink. Says, um, says, says the boy. One of the uh, ancient writers of the church says it in similar terms. He says salvation are different terms, but the same thing. He says salvation is more than forgiveness. It's a general, genuine renewal of man. Humanity is gender neutral. And that's what it means to be fully human, to have the full potential. So, what we're after here is not some kind of, of, of some moral liberation, but of a healing, of a putting back together, of a, of a restoring or, or a restoration. And kind of the universal symbol for that is the rainbow, where God is the one who is restoring us back to our original state to become fully human and become fully alive. Enjoy your discussions.